about the welcoming committee there. We get a lot of wildlife up here. It's a place where people get blipped. Blipped? Lost, vaporized, erased. The forbidden bunk. Why is it called the forbidden bunk? Because it's forbidden. Now, do you tell us where you put our whistles? Or do we work on our archways? Search everywhere, aim carefully. We do not want her getting away. Welcome to our campsite of terror, Slimesters. This is Splat Attack, a 90s podcast overflowing into the slime-filled past. I'm your creepy, whispering woodlands watcher, Brett. <laughs> and I'm your camper-devouring, mystical beast, Alex. And Brett. Yes. What brings us to this spooky neck of the woods for our 50th episode of our main timeline? First of all, whoop, whoop, 50 whoop. episodes. Milestone <laughs> for us. Yeah. And um, second of all, well, Alex, since the weather has been getting quite beautiful lately, uh, it's only natural for us to get back into the great outdoors. It'll be a real treat to get away from them all, make some friends, and uh, even do some fun activities at camp. Well, sounds like fun. Except where we are headed isn't an ordinary camp. Oh? Is it Camp Anawana? Nope. Uh, uh, unfortunately, they're not open yet. Uh, we're headed to somewhere more sinister. <laughs> uh <-oh. laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to need my compass, my pocket knife, and uh, even my midnight dust pouch for this one. Well, try packing a machete and some matches, and we might survive the camping trip. If you say so, I'll, I'll make sure we're prepared. Um, let me just double check uh, my backpack to see if I have room for a few more supplies. Uh, wait a minute. Alex, do you know where our backpacks went? Well, don't look at me. I was reading the map. Now, according to the trail we're on, we should be reaching camp if we head north, then northwest by about a mile. Oh, I mean, if you say so. Except for one tiny detail that just doesn't add up. What's that? Where's the path? Well, it, it, it was just there. Oh my, this, this is getting kind of creepy here. I think we should go home. <laughs> Wait, oh. you hear something? Oh, oh. I guess it's our uh, guest for today, Logan. I, I didn't see you peeping out of the tree. How are you? <laughs> so good. How are you guys? I like, the, I like the watcher. I like the watcher thing. That was good. That was good. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we all like the outdoors, so I figured might as well. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so um, I, I actually previously met you on uh, Big Orange Couch. I've heard you do a couple episodes with them, particularly the one that stood out to me was the Dream Machine versus Bookish Babysitter uh, versus they did for Podtober. And I just found the, the conversation so engaging, even though I know those episodes pretty well already, that I, I just had to pick your brain and have you on our show and see what it'd be like for us to talk about Are You Fair of the Dark? So um, before we dive into things, you know, Tell us, what's your uh, history with Are You Afraid of the Dark and or Goosebumps? 
Oh, well, um, you know, I'm definitely um, team Are You Afraid of the Dark. Um, I grew up in the right time period for it. And, you know, I'd say like around, like there was a time where I kind of fell off for a bit, but I'd say right around high school, I just, I just kind of brought back those memories. And I was like, oh man, I, I need to f figure out, find these episodes. And I got like a box set on eBay. And then just like, you know, my goal ever since then, like once I rediscovered them all was to like show them to all everyone I know who didn't know this show and just, it's just a really magical show, and I and I have a, it holds a really like like you. It holds a really close place in my heart. Goosebumps, uh, a little bit of the books here and there. The episode we are talking about tonight, I am a big fan of. I'm not gonna lie. I know I'm doing a versus, but I really like that episode as well. So it's it's pretty cool. It's kind of yeah. It's nice to like see two episodes. I'm really into. But yeah, love love both things. Love Are You Afraid of the Dark, and really happy to be here. So. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, it's it, these versus battles usually are the best when we have three passionate fans uh, defending their episodes to the death. And um, I, I appreciate your passion because that's something I would do too when I was watching Are You Afraid of the Dark, both as a kid and as an adult. It's like, hey, you got to check this show out. It's so cool. Even if people weren't interested in first, they just had to give it like an episode or two and show them some of your favorites or the best ones to really hook them in. And, you know, sometimes it didn't work, which is fine. But other times when people got into it, they were totally on for the ride with you. And uh, those moments, those moments are quite magical when they happen. Yeah, they're worth it. Worth every one of those moments. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Alex? What's your memories of uh, Are You Afraid of Dark and Goosebumps? And you can mention these episodes in particular or just some general ones. Uh, well, we've addressed that a few times, uh, but I will, I will address a bit more for anyone who's new listening to this episode. Uh, but Are You Afraid of the Dark was... The, I was too terrified. I was a scaredy cat when I was a kid. Uh, I was scared of everything. But Goosebumps... I was not afraid of, which was uh, kind of because Goosebumps is it's it's the more campy and silly and it's a bit more mainstream for big wussies like me. But uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark felt hardcore and I was terrified of it. So I only saw three episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And by saw, I mean, like I had the previous channel button on the remote control. And as soon as the clown showed up, I'd push the button and it would go back to something else. And then I'd give it a few minutes and come back to it. And okay, it's safe. And then something would happen and push it again. And same for the curious camera. Uh, obviously, Zebo, of course, is who I was referring to. Mm -hmm. But Curious um, camera? Yeah, curious Wait, camera. Scared curious the... camera scared, scared you? Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Curious camera terrified me. Uh, I told you I was scared of everything, but Goosebumps, it never really scared me. Um, but I was always intrigued by things that were scary, but I had to hear it secondhand from other people who, who would watch these shows and then tell me the story where I knew I was safe. Um, uh, it wasn't until I became an adult and went back and watched both of these series again and uh, that I appreciated them far more. Uh, whereas Goosebumps, I appreciated more for the nostalgia because I did watch most of the series, uh, most, not all of them. But uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? I got to watch with fresh eyes because I got to see the whole series mostly for the first time as an adult and really appreciate it and uh, appreciate the storytelling, the the air that they put into each episode and it's really a very very well-made series even holds up to this day goosebumps for the most part still holds up uh, it's a, a lot more campier than i than i remembered it being but both of these episodes i did not see the are you afraid of the dark episode we're talking about today until i became an adult 
Goosebumps, this one, I had no memory of uh, until I watched it today. Uh, I remembered several episodes of Goosebumps, but that one escaped the memory banks with uh, all the other pop culture references that I stuffed my brain with over the years. So this was a fun one to go back and rewatch again for the sake of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're going to have an interesting take on it with fresh eyes versus uh, vividly remembering it as a kid, Alex. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Cool. All right, guys, now that our uh, campfire is built, I think it's time to grab our gloves because our versus brawl is about to begin. Let's get it on. Let's get ready to versus. Fight. Okay, so before it gets too dark to see through the woods, um, I'm gonna be listing the categories today that we'll be judging by since I am judge. Uh, we're going to be doing story, of course, main characters, plural, scariness, use of camp theme or camping theme, and lasting appeal. And I'll have uh, I'll read the episode in info for each of them, and then I'll let you guys take it away. Um, I'll have Logan go first, and then Alex. So the episode info for The Tale of Watcher's Woods, Are You For The Dark, is season three, episode three, and its air date was January 22nd, 1994. It was written by Gregory Kennedy and directed by David Winnie. And for Welcome to Camp Nightmare, it is season one, episodes five and six, because it is a two-parter. Its air date is April 1st, 1995. Haha. <laughs> it was written by Jeff Cohen, directed by Ron Oliver, who's also been on Are You For The Dark. And the book uh, based on this episode is number nine in the original Goosebumps series. The book release date is from July, 1993. All right, Logan, when you are ready, take it away with story. All right, okay, I'm gonna do my best here. So story opens, Sarah is new at Camp Grindelstone. Story opens again, Grim Grindelstone, love the name. Sarah is the kind of girl who works, whose work sometimes gets in the way of making, I mean, her work sometimes gets in the way of making new friends, it seems like. Kelly, on the other hand, is the total opposite. Uh, having been to Camp Grindelstone uh, and her parents demand she goes, uh, she's kind of a rebel. She's got kind of a chip on her shoulder. Um, the two end up in the same bunk, and obviously Kelly's not very pleased about that. Kelly mocks Sarah behind her back, making fun of her Trailmaker's badge. Her best, I mean, her Trailmaker's best and badge, and going on about how perfect she is. Sarah sees the three whistles as being as as Kelly's mocking her um, in their cafeteria, I guess you would say, uh, with the phrase that says "Never enter Watcher Woods ever." Um, and she questions. She asks, "What's the deal with these missing trail makers? They went missing seventy-five years ago to the day." And of course, the next day, they're going to go on a hike in the woods because naturally we progress the show that way. Through the woods and of course, Sarah and Kelly are paired together. Kelly tricks Sarah into finding a fake pheasant's nest and dishes her in the woods. Meanwhile, karma is a bitch. And even though Sarah has stumbled into the woods, Kelly has stumbled upon something way worse. Passing by an evil ho uh, a horse skull on a stick, she quickly is trapped in a net in what appears to be the ghosts of the missing trail makers. They think Kelly is the lady who left her behind, the watcher who has kept them trapped in his woods. The ghosts threaten to eat her. Thankfully, Sarah shows up. Uh, and being kind of the good good girl, and it seems like the ghosts can sense that, 
says she can she knows where their missing whistles are and she can go find them for her after you know they let her go which is i think subconsciously they understand that um she makes her way through the woods being stopped by the watcher who doesn't want her to pass but luckily she has a lighter on her um and sarah threatens the watcher to let her pass and he does he's kind of a creepy character we'll get to that um she finds the whistles makes her way back to the woods and kelly is forced to face her fears because as we know the three trail uh missing trail makers understand what scares her so they leave her with a bucket of rats and as sarah's bringing the whistles one of the whistles drops into the bucket and kelly has to face her fears of uh the rats by picking up the whistle and you know realizing what it is to be a good friend and you know the curse is lifted and we see a bright future for the relationship of Kelly and Sarah. And uh, the trailmakers are set free. They're spirits. What do you think of that ending with uh, the missing trailblazers, uh, like in their youthful selves before they went missing in the car? Oh, I think it's great. I think the music also plays a really nice touch. I did put that in my notes, um, especially when they're entering beforehand. Uh, it's like this ragtime piano that really goes with the era of when they went missing, which I think is a really cool touch. Ari Frederick always nails it with soundtracks. Um, yeah, I just think the feel and like this, the difference is I think what I like about this episode is it really, um, it goes through like every aspect of the story and it has a re resolution and the resolution's good, but it's still like they go through all these crazy parts to get there. And it's, I don't know, it's like the whole package, you know? I like that. Alex, uh, would you like to share your story of Welcome to Camp Nightmare, please? Absolutely. And this one will be a bit lengthier only because it's a two-parter. Um, so going into Camp Nightmare, story begins showing a yellow shuttle bus labeled Camp Night Moon driving hastily through the woods. It stops in the road next to a field, and the bus driver forces all the campers out of the bus at once. One by one, he throws all of the kids' duffel bags and backpacks out of the back of the bus while ignoring all of their questions. The bus driver furiously drives off, leaving all the campers in the dust confused and startled. One of the kids, named Billy, tells the others to remain calm. Suddenly, a ravenous creature in the bushes roars. A moment later, the animal <clears throat> explodes in a plume of smoke and fire. Uh, apparently, the Camp Night Moon director, simply, simply known as Uncle Al, shot him with a tiny pistol uh, or flare gun, uh, acting as if nothing is wrong whatsoever. He introduces himself to the kids and mentions that the creature he shot, uh, although it seems that he shot at and frightened it, was called Saber, and as long as the kids stick to the trails, they'll avoid him. One of the girls named Dawn asks Billy if it's his first time at camp. One of the other boys rags on him, and Billy replies that he's here because his parents are scientists who go on trips. Uh, they have to, And they have to dump him off at camp in the meantime. Uncle Al directs the girls to a trail leading to their bunk, and on the way to the boys' bunks, Uncle Al mentions a few rules. One, no leaving your bunk at night. Two, don't go near the girls' bunks. Three, lights out at 9 p.m., wake up at 6 p.m., and four, write home to your parents every day. 
Billy notices a tattered bunk covered in cobwebs and weeds, but Uncle Al quickly shoots down his curiosity. It's the forbidden bunk, so stay away. The boys unpack in their bunk while knockoff shaggy music plays in the background. Billy sees Saber's name carved in the wall of, her, of, uh, of his bunk and wonders what his story is. Suddenly, one of the boys gets bitten by a snake in his bed. Larry, a, a tall, lanky, nasty-acting counselor, one of the most awful camp counselors you'll ever find in most pop culture shows, uh, shows up demanding why they threw a perfectly good sheet out the window. Now, Larry disregards the snake bite, telling the kid to just wash it and put a bandage on it. Cut to a campfire where they are not sharing ghost stories, but Uncle Al is strumming a guitar, singing an indistinct camp song. Billy goes over to the kid who is resting under a tree nearby to help him after he got a snake bite. Uncle Al disrupts his powwow, bringing all the campers over, reassuring the kid that all the pain and swelling will be gone tomorrow. Uncle Al praises Billy for tending to the kid and the other campers cheer for him. Billy is happy, but feels something is a bit off. And we fade to Billy and a few other of his bunkmates walking to the forbidden bunk in the dark. One of the boys named Roger eggs Billy to enter it, specifically heckling him. Hey, maybe the number one is afraid to be a number two. The boys approach the forbidden bunk with some distant snarling noises in the fog beyond. And we see a POV of a creature getting close to the cabin and howling in the foggy moonlight. The next morning, Uncle Al plays Reveille on his trumpet near the flagpole, and of course we all think of Camp Onawana. Billy wonders where Mike, the kid who got the snake bite, had disappeared to. He's completely gone. He wanders outside looking for Mike, running into an off-putting bald guy in glasses, warning Billy that he needs to head to the lodge to eat breakfast. Billy informs Larry that Mike is gone. Larry sneers at Billy, refusing to give him a clear answer. So Larry leans forward to Billy, shouting, Mike's not here, Billy. So maybe he's somewhere else. The boys return to their table, just as Larry announces that it's time for the kids to play a game of baseball. Billy steps up to the bat, asking Uncle Billy where Mike went to. He, too, deflects his question. Billy reluctantly steps up to the plate as Roger pitches a strike. He throws another ball. Billy hits it and the kids run to their ba run their bases. The kid in the sunglasses runs to home plate, but before he can make it, Larry beams him in the back of the head so hard that he knocks him unconscious, breaking his glasses and leaving a massive dent in the back of the helmet. Uncle Al picks him up and orders Billy to take the kid to the lodge and ice his head. He'll have to set up tents near the flagpole afterwards because tonight is survival night. Later that night, Billy writes a letter to his parents explaining the difficulties adapting to his first day at camp. Suddenly, Roger and his friend ask if Billy wants to join them investigating the forbidden bunk. Billy declines, staying behind with Dizzy Kid. However, Billy hears a strange growl luring him outside. One of the kids warns Billy that Saber is coming, and the dizzy kid who wraps himself in his sleeping bag like a caterpillar, and the three kids hustle to the bunk and hide behind some beds inside, 
as the door is thrown open, we end part one. And after the recap for part two, uh, we start with the door bursting open. Larry shows up asking the kids, why aren't they in their tents? One of the kids mentions that Saber got Roger, but Larry yet again denies anything they saw happen. Larry leaves, threatening to tell Uncle Al about the humongous lie. The trio quickly form a plan to protect themselves from being devoured by Saber by taking shifts against the door until morning. They all live to see another day. Back at the lodge, Billy interrupts Larry's breakfast again, this time demanding where Uncle Al is. Larry keeps deflecting and playing dumb. He orders the kids to go swimming at the lake this time. Billy wishes he could go home, considering the twisted turn of events causing kids to just disappear. Billy splits off to look for a phone and runs into Uncle Al suddenly. The camp director leers at him, then laughs. He explains he installed this phone as a joke, knowing that there is no outside communication with the real world. Uncle Al reiterates to Billy that he should continue to write home in to quell his homesickness. Billy asks about Roger, but Uncle Al denies Roger ever existed. He sternly insists Billy must head to the lake. Now down at the lake, Billy calls out to Jay and Colin now that they are in a canoe, telling them that Uncle Al said Roger doesn't exist. Larry shows up and forces the kids to put on their life preservers. He throws a preserver ring to Jay and Colin, causing them to tip out of the canoe. Colin struggles to stay afloat. Both kids plunge underwater. Billy prepares to jump in, but Larry struggles with him on the dock, pushing him in and preventing Billy from saving his friends. Billy dives underwater a couple of times, but Jay and Colin are nowhere to be found, underwater or above water. Billy becomes even more panicked than before as he lifts himself back up onto the dock. Barefoot and exhausted, he musters any remaining strength to run back to camp. Quick cuts of saber and rustling plants intersperse with Billy running through the woods. He heads back to the lodge, but no one is around. He calls for Larry, then heads back to his bunk. No one is around here either. Billy tells himself to focus so he can find a way out of this camp. He puts on a fresh pair of clothes, commando style with, the, with those quick zoom cuts, grabs a red baseball hat, and then proceeds outside. On the way to the forbidden bunk, Billy finds a slew of camper letters flying out into the breeze. He reads a few of them on the way there, reminded, all of, uh, reminded of all his fellow friends that he had lost mysteriously since their arrival at Camp Nightmoon. The door at the forbidden bunk closes behind him. He looks around, then runs into Dawn, who is hiding there. Dawn explains a similar situation to Billy, where her friend Dory, no, not the fish, went mysteriously missing after she had gotten hurt. The two surviving campers examine a few more letters, then spot a group of counselors and Uncle Al in military fatigues outside lining the kids up. Larry finds Billy and turns him into Uncle Al. The director reports of a female runaway from the girls' camp, Dawn. He hands out crossbows loaded with tranquilizer darts. Billy has had enough of Uncle Bill's illogical nonsense. He immediately seizes a crossbow and threatens to shoot Uncle Al right in the chest. 
Uncle Al repeatedly tells Billy to put the weapon down. But Billy is at his breaking point. He shoots the camp director right point blank in the chest. Surprisingly, Uncle Al stumbles back with a look of shock and smiles. Surprise! Apparently this whole camp experience turned out to be nothing more than a simulation. Now, Billy is utterly confused, which is further compounded by seeing his parents and Don emerge from the bushes, smiling and congratulating his efforts. Uncle Al reveals the camp is actually a government testing lab. Jay and Colin show up to mention that they were hiding in an air pocket under the canoe, Mike was bitten by a rubber snake, and Roger just shows up again in one piece. According to everyone in on the simulation, Billy knew when to follow the rules and when to break them. Suddenly, Saber emerges out of the bushes, and everyone is jolted for a second until the camera zooms out to show the bald guy with the glasses operating him as an animatronic. Billy's dad informs his son to pack his bags for the expedition to Earth tomorrow. He further adds, the aliens there are pretty dangerous and unpredictable. Billy and his parents share a chuckle and then look up at the sky to see the planet. End of part two and the episode. Um, I do have some questions before we move to the next category. Do you feel your episode could be condensed into one, Alex? And if so, how would you condense it? It probably could be condensed, but I don't. I think it benefits more as being a part a two parter, mm-hmm. uh, because if you did condense it as uh, down to part one, you you would need the uh, at least the part where they arrive and the bus driver leaves them because you were already thrown into a WTF, and um, then probably definitely the camp, uh, the, not the camp, the uh, snake bite. You could cut the uh, campfire and just go straight to the next morning, and he's gone. And now he's confused. And you probably could cut the whole thing with Saber. Uh, just take Saber out altogether and leave the part with um, the forbidden bunk and the letters to the parents, because it's very, very quick and brief. You could cut the whole baseball portion, but leave. Uh, them getting attacked and you could just say it was a bear or something but their bodies are gone Um, and in place of Saber and just using a bear they could whenever they emerge at the end they could just have a boombox playing bear sounds Um, probably cut the canoe but leave the part where where Dawn is there because that felt the most what are you serious we're going to go hunt a girl in camp and uh, and then end it the way that it did but honestly I think having the two-parter you're able to dive into watching Billy have a slow descent into desperation uh, so it the story could be condensed but I think you'd lose a lot of the watching his descent into frustration and reach his breaking point, which is what sells this whole thing, is is Billy's sheer desperation by the end of it. I was just going to say, because the rest of the acting is pretty lackluster. Yeah, yeah, Billy carries most of the weight of the episode. Um, you know, that, that other kid who heckles him, you know, <laughs> he's, he's good for a good laugh. Uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more later. But um, 
yeah, I just focused on Billy the entire time and tried not to get angry at Uncle Al because he annoyed me a lot and equally as much as Larry uh, <laughs> for just being just a un just, like he's he's very punchable. Let's put it that way. He he makes me feel like a, a super annoying Napoleon Dynamite without the curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Logan, quick question for you, and then we'll move on to our next category. Is there anything you would adjust or take out of Watcher's Woods to make it feel like a a more tighter, cohesive story? I mean, honestly, no. I think it's a pretty tight, cohesive story. I think, you know, I think even all the scares, I mean, granted, they're ghosts, so they're not actually hurting them, but the idea like with the like I wouldn't cut out any of it like I would keep the I would keep the arrow I would keep like there's just so many good scares and things that happen in that story and the plot it doesn't drag on too long it it cuts a lot of the fat which I appreciate um you know whereas and I think like a lot of the goosebumps episodes just there's just a lot of like slow burn and no payoff mm-hmm. um I feel like with this one it's like a lot of payoff but also like uh, it's just it's just great the only thing I would say maybe if I was going to cut anything I probably would just leave the watcher to be like the sounds. Mm-hmm. I just think his appearance is so short and just it's just it's just not for an episode about called Watcher's Woods. It's like he really isn't I mean it's it's the trail it's the trailblazers. It's not it's not it's not him. He's just very small small potatoes and like yeah, yeah com- com- competing malevolent forces here. Um yeah, I I agree with you there. I feel like if they treated him more like Zebo in the sense that he's more heard, not seen. Uh, he's like an entity. Like, yeah, yeah, like the entity of the forest, not the representative or exactly. the agent, so to speak. That would further add to the ambiance and the creepiness. But I don't want I don't want to get too much into scariness just yet. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Cool. Um, both very good arguments for your stories, uh, despite the the different links in them. Uh, okay, we're going to move on to main characters now. Logan, tell us about Sarah and Kelly and their roles in this story. Um, I mean, they're pretty, you know, pretty opposites. I think I like, I, I respect Sarah a lot, but I also see, like, there's aspects of Kelly that I can relate to as well. Like, I don't know, I kind of was like the, you know, the, I was the kid ripping butts in the woods when I was a kid. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I, I think their character development's perfect. I really don't think there needs to be more about them. You pretty much understand who they are as people. Um, and I think their acting's pretty good. They do a good job playing their characters. Um, Sarah has compassion and she's smart. And Kelly's smart, street smart, but like, you know, has a heart, but has a really a tough edge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think the char- those characters are great. Um, um, yeah. They seem like um, Chris Farley and David Spade and Tommy Boy to me. Oh, One's yeah. Both smart, the other street smart. <laughs> Although less comedy right. here, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about the missing trailblazers. Um, first off, if it's okay to mention, I love the fact that the lead uh, trailblazer, uh, Old Lady, is played the same actress who plays Nanny in uh, Tale of the Lonely Ghost, mm-hmm. uh, which Larkin. I really appreciate. Yeah, Sheena Larkin, she's a great character actress. Uh, I think she does a really great job. Um, she has this like really interesting tinge about her voice and how she delivers things that I think is really cool. Um, I think the costume design in all three of those are is absolutely terrifying. It's actually like 
really, really scary and really well done. And the whole idea that they have been missing, like these are just rotted ghosts, like just missing in the woods. And like, you know, it's just, it's great. It's really good. They're, they, they sell it really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. I get a strong sense of decay from their campground and their clothing. And it just shows that they're just, they're literally dying to get out of this campsite that they've been um, imprisoned in by the watcher. Not, not to make yeah. a pun, even though I love puns, but it's oh, just that was great. <laughs> great visuals. I love the different shades of green to really amp up the etherealness of it. Uh, the floating little torch things that are like bobbing up and down the, the, the record for the uh, old photograph. That's why I put that in my notes. But yeah, that's, that's super yeah. creepy. That really adds to it, you know? Yeah. It's like once you find this place, you want to turn the other way before whatever lives there gets you. Yeah, totally. All right, Alex, uh, tell me about Billy, our main character from Welcome to Camp Nightmare, and any other main characters that you feel are involved here. Well, I'm glad you put it that way, because there are a lot of characters in this show. Uh, Billy is the main one, but it can pretty much be chopped down to Billy and everyone in the simulation. Uh, <laughs> this is this is one of those shows that you kind of need to watch a second time. I mean, you you have to because the first time you it's like watching uh, an M Night Shyamalan movie. Uh, you the whole time you think it's going one, especially Sixth Sense. The whole time you're watching this, thinking that it's going to end a certain way, and then once you know the twist, you got to go back and watch it again, and then notice all the details that you missed the first time. But but that kind of mentality, you know, once you've seen the the twist, you got to go back and watch it again uh, because it. it now look it's for the clues, but yeah, look for the clues and look how it, how it plays differently, uh, because it's there are a lot of those movies that you can't watch them with those fresh eyes again because now you know oh crap it's a simulation this whole time, but uh, I I must have missed this one when I was a kid because I know that if I saw this one uh, at a young age this one would have stuck with me, and I think this one is uh, a bit different. Uh, because it's it's a very serious for a Goosebumps episode because most of these characters are played serious uh, outside of the three um, counselors or three adult figures in the episode uh, where you've got Uncle Al and although Larry is more older teenager and less uh, young, uh, less adult, he's still an authority figure and then the old man who is operating the Saber animatronic those three really had hammy over the top goofy villain type personas and that was probably the most cheesy thing in the episode all the other child performers and i i will disagree with uh, logan on this i thought they did very well especially knowing how some of the performances we've seen previously in some other goosebumps episodes and even some some are you afraid of the dark episodes especially dream cab uh, dream cab i will agree dream i cab. mean as far as but the fact that you said that as far as Goosebumps episodes go, yes, I do agree with you in mm -hmm. a sense that the, the performances are better than most Goosebumps episodes, yes. but that's really not saying much. No, it's not no. saying much because most of the, because there are some really, really bad performances across the show. But it, it, let's face it, it's not the performances that sell these things. But for the fact that these kids are having to play mostly scared most of the time, they did a really good job. Uh, but again, most of them, most of these characters are are part of the simulation, which is with the intent of terrifying Billy, uh, which we don't know that until the end. But the kid getting bit by the snake bite 
and uh, particularly the one in the sleeping bag. That cracked <laughs> me up. <laughs> Looks like a caterpillar. Because that kid. So weird. So weird. Uh, because at first he starts off as the smart aleck joking and then ends everything with, huh, you get it? You get it? These characters are usually the most annoying for me in these sh- in these types of shows. Thankfully, that doesn't last for very long. Maybe one scene, possibly two, and it's one or two lines. The rest of the time, he's terrified and then he's, then he's gone. But when he is being Caterpillar Boy... Because you just see him in the sleeping bag. I don't think I saw him with the thing wrapped around his head at first. It just cuts uh, to him, and now he's completely engulfed in this uh, sleeping bag, (laughs) and he's not moving at all. He's waiting to become a butterfly. That's how metamorphosis works. (laughs) Once once they get him to the other bunk and and they sit him on the ground, the camera shot that Ron had chosen, which was a brilliant camera shot, where he's in the foreground, and then you see, which he did this several times throughout both these episodes, and you see Billy and the other kid trying to close the door, and in the very forefront, you can see him wiggling under to get underneath the, the bed. Oh my gosh, it cracks me up. Uh, but uh, that was really the only part that made me laugh and I know that had to have been intentional knowing Ron but uh, the rest of it though was pretty straightforward Uh, and all of them were were doing this to push Billy to see if according to government regulations that he would be able to handle pressure and uh, quick thinking which Billy really did all that Uh, Billy stayed calm Throughout most of the first episode, he got a little panicked at the end whenever, I mean, there's a giant monster that's about to burst your door down. Of course, you'd be a little panicked by then. And then after the watching more and more of the second episode, he's becoming less concerned about Saber and more concerned about his friends, his bunkmates. And why are they disappearing? And he's becoming more frustrated with the fact that he's telling the authority figures and he's going about it the right way. He tells the person he's supposed to tell when that's not working, he wants to go talk to the next the, the next authority because authority one isn't listening. And now that authority two isn't listening, it's straight up lying, now he's freaking out. Because if the authority figures here I can't trust, who can I trust? And then starts to break the rules just out of sheer desperation to find what to do and how to get out of this situation and where are my friends? Where did everyone go? And then knowing at the end, whenever they are hunting Dawn and even is up against, completely against killing her because that's what they said at first was they were going to shoot her. They didn't emphasize that these were tranquilizer darts and he was not okay with shooting somebody and and thinking they were going to die. And he said, no, these aren't, who said anything about killing? These are tranquilizer darts. He still wasn't okay with that. But now it it would be easier to shoot the, the, the authority figure knowing these are tranquilizer darts and maybe you could rally everyone up. But to see that he had reached his breaking point and knows what's right, knows that this is not right and stands his ground. I mean, he really was put through a ringer uh, of emotional and mental distress. He never was any in any real physical danger by the end of it, but he didn't know that. And uh, now I, I know that that's something that uh, I, 
Brett in particular does not like whenever they have these big everyone is hiding something and it's frustrating and then you have a payoff at the end of oh come on you were all faking this and putting this poor kid through all this but um, this is an earth <laughs> this is may this is an alien planet where maybe this type of training thing is but I mean honestly can you see this even happening here uh, if there's a, a main government thing I mean we get we we all hear top top secret stories that are made and fictitious they, they would put characters through a number of trials just to see if they could live up to their expectations so I could see something like that happening uh, hearing the horror stories that government has I, put things through I really think the fact that like I think what gets me though about that one is just the fact that it isn't Earth but like the idea that there is another planet that's doing the exact same thing like that's that's really you know, I mean, that is the part, that's what's still, like, I know we're on a versus, but I do respect the part of this episode for that reason. Like, it's yeah. just, it is a great payoff. I will give you that. Veering the, a little bit into X-Files territory there. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Twilight Zone, too. It's, it's got yep. that vibe. Yeah. But the the characters, the main character, the, the main supporting cast, they all did very well. They all played their part and played it successfully, uh, even from watching it as a as a kid's perspective, it would have terrified the crap out of me. This would have been a few one of the few Goosebumps episodes to really scare me. But Billy uh, definitely had a high moral compass and was willing to follow the rules until the rules were not making any sense and no one was explaining it and people were getting hurt and then would do what he had to to save everyone and GTFO. <laughs> wow. Very thorough, Alex. Um, lot to take in especially since there's a, a whole myriad of characters who are working together just to escape the camp. Yeah. Uh, if you had a least favorite character among the bunch outside of Billy, who would you pick and why? Uh, well, to be honest, I liked most of them. Uh, I even liked Larry and I liked Uncle Al because of the parts that they were playing. They were supposed to be annoying and they did it effectively well uh, you really needed the, these two characters um, I think probably the only one that would be relatively superfluous would be the bald guy operating the animatronic um, because again you could have substituted that with, with a bear or, or just sound effects or something but it's goosebumps it, it's kind of fun to have that little twist and the fact that you see the monster the whole time and it was kind of fun to see that they're acknowledging that it looks like a fake animatronic by the yeah. end of it, which I I liked and I respected that. But if there's any one character I would cut, it would be the animatronic operator. So for that character, this came up constantly in my mind when I watched both of these episodes in preparation for the verses. Did anyone think of him as also like the Six Flags guy who's like in the yeah. tux dancing around? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought if Ron Oliver was going to play any part in this episode, it would be that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to fit him. Just out of left field. Yeah. Quick cameo just to make a make a laugh and do something silly. Yeah. And also, uh, the seeing him behind Saber, controlling him, reminded me a lot of Super Troopers when uh, one of the troopers was actually like in a bear costume or like a lumberjack doing unspeakable things to a bear. And uh, it, it was hard to separate the two, especially when you kept saying bear, Alex, in my head. So, yeah, it could easily be a bear, but I don't want a guy behind, directly behind him in close proximity. 
Alrighty. Um, well, I think that covers it for main characters. Let's move on to scariness, our third category. Logan, tell me why Watcher's Woods is scary, as well as all the different elements associated with its scariness. I mean, the I mean, just to start off, uh, Watcher's Woods is kind of based around um, a, a story that's been told many times about a watcher in the woods. Um, so right there, you're getting a folklore tale to begin with. So you're adding that's the first little scare thing to start, uh, even with the title. But so many, there's just so many things um, to list off. I mean, scariness as far as items, you got the the horse skull acting as kind of like a vision for the ghosts. You got the the phonograph spinning. Um, the campsite is terrifying, like we talked about earlier. The trail makers, the trailblazers are absolutely scary. Like their costumes are terrifying. The makeup's great. Um, and then the fact that they're cannibals. I mean, you throw in a, a like these are like adult. These are adult themes big time like they are in survival mode and they are eating people and they want to they're going to eat them and teach the other half of them to do tricks and yeah that's like <laughs> yeah that's that's some dark shit gotta be sharp to be painless she's just sharpening the blade like you know they shoot an arrow i mean granted i mean it's nice that are you afraid like obviously they couldn't have pushed it to the point where they were actually going to die because that would have been a little extreme even for are you afraid of the dark i think um but you know like the guillotine i mean there's just so many things um, that really make this episode scary. The setting, I mean, the, the sets are fantastic. Um, I think the tone of each of the trailblazers is like, the baby one is like, she got her own weird baby conniving vibe. And then like the head one is obviously nanny. So she's doing the nanny thing. Um, and then the middle one, I mean, it's just, it, they're all really great. Um, and I remember this one actually genuinely scaring me a little bit when I was a kid. So, you know, it's definitely, it's got, it's got some good scares going on it there. The soundtrack too. I mean, there's just so much. I could keep going on and on. Um, this, yeah, it's just it's all around. I think it is a scary episode. How do you feel about uh, the Watcher with the scariness and some of his tricks? That's, like, so I wrote a note about that, um, okay. and I basically just said, you know, even though he's like, you know, he's a goofy guy in a tree costume. Imagine being in the woods and a goofy guy in a tree costume like that uh, popping up at you. It's pretty freaking scary, even if it's just a character. It, it's creepy. It's still creepy. Yeah, you know, it's very unexpected. Yeah, and the transformation of the skull thing. I mean, that's pretty creepy. He like, I don't, I don't even understand. He just comes out of like the ground as like a skull, and then like turns into a weird tree creature. <laughs> that's what really threw me off when first watching this episode as a kid, like brand new world premiere, um, back in nineteen ninety four is. What's the deal with this weird skull with like bloody eye sockets and eyeballs and stringy <laughs> hair? And why is it like seven feet tall? Ugh, get it away from me. Ugh. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's almost like he's taking different forms of the woods to like play tricks on Sarah to try and get her guard down so that he can capture her. But oh, that's interesting. I never thought. I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the way I see the watch. Even though a lot of Are You for the Dark fans seem is just extraneous, is that he's kind of like this chess master playing a game in the woods, and he's watching all these different pieces and how they play out. So like maybe over here, you know, he's he's setting Kelly on a path to capture Kelly using the three missing trailblazers, um, you know, as like some sort of bargaining chip so that the trailblazers can get out if they kill her. Um, or find more unsuspecting victims to kill. And then over here, he's kind of, you know, playing around with Sarah, trying to convince her uh, to join you know, to... him because she's smart. He likes he likes her vibes. 
She's a, she's got she's got what he wants. Yeah, she's got some Katniss Everdeen survival instincts there. Exactly. Uh, that would exactly. make her worthy of eventually owning the game, not just becoming a pawn in it. So I I I really feel like if they were to expand the story further, which I feel like they should have done with a lot of these episodes in the series, uh, I would like to see that play out more, like different types of things they do to mess with people in the woods or even the origin of how the Watcher came to existence. Uh, oh, so yeah. I, I like how there's some unanswered questions with these these villains and some of the scary imagery that's popping up like who thinks of a who thinks of a flayed horse head that's on a pike just kind of staring at you as if it's a, a guard watch or a surveillance camera when you're entering that that nasty decrepit uh campsite like oh a lot of a lot of strong imagery here yeah for sure for sure all right alex uh tell us about the scariness of welcome to camp nightmare well, I don't know if I'll have as much to say about this one as I did main characters, just because there was a lot of morals that kid went through. But sure. don't, touching back on the subject of that this episode is very different from most Goosebumps episodes because the tongue-in-cheek is really toned down, and it's really given a pretty harsh dose of reality. And reality can be freaking terrifying, uh, mm -hmm. especially when you're a child. There is some of the fantastical. Uh, you do have the monster of the episode, which, of course, is uh, we know the, the reveal, but you have an episode and three-fourths of an episode where it's real. Uh, so having a monster being in the woods and obviously a, a child camping in the woods who loves whenever you love to hear ghost stories and then you get in the tent and you try to get some rest and all you're thinking about is those monsters that are outside the tent. So that, that could be scary. Um, but really, the in snakes, uh, snakes are scary. They're gross. I don't care. Watch out for snakes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Why did it have to be snakes? Uh, I mean, snakes aren't as big of a deal now. Now that I'm adult, but ask my wife, they're still a big deal. And mm -hmm. my children, yep, they're terrified of them too. Snakes are still scary, uh, especially when they are in your bed. That can be mm -hmm. even creepier. But the real, the real thing about it is knowing that something awful is happening and no one is believing you. That's, mm. that's a big part of this. And also not having reliable authority figures, uh, even to the point where they're asking you to do things that you know are unethical. Uh, there's a lot of very, very heavy themes that are going on with this episode uh, that still happen to this day. I mean, it's reasons like this why we still have foster care, because we have those authority figures. Well, this is why we have parents who are afraid to let their children go to school and do homeschool, because the teachers or the principal aren't uh, trusting or, or helpful to their children or they play favorites. The same goes for camps. There's some parents who won't let their children go to camp a certain camp, not all camps, obviously, not all schools, but yeah. there are parents, there are teachers, there are principals, there are camp counselors, there are authority figures who abuse their authority. And if those people are abusing their authority and they're putting their child in that care, how's that child gonna feel when, once they realize that they are, they're helpless in these situations? That's really terrifying. And that's- It's like Ben Stiller in Heavyweights. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very much. Now that now a bit a very comedic one, but uh, but that's that's a real thing, and it still happens, and that's that's the scariest thing in this whole episode, uh, because there really is no 
monster. The the kids were never in real danger, but the whole time he knows that these kids are being they're they're disappearing. Where did they go? Who's up to something? And why is no one believing me? At first, the kids were believing me, but the moment they do, they get taken away somehow. And I have no adult who is listening to me. And now, at the end of it, the adults are telling me to go hunt another child and shoot them. Rather, And they could be lying to me. They've already lied to me before, saying that there is no Larry. How do I know that this isn't a real arrow that could really kill somebody? Uh, it's a, a total mind trip. And it's... It's a scary, it's a really freaking scary thing. Uh, it's not a fantastical fear, but it's a viable fear that even adults are afraid of. Uh, I mean, you have adults now who are afraid of the police because how trustworthy are the police or the government or anything like that? All of the authority figures, can they, can they really be trusted? Yeah, yeah, that goes into some... Uh deep themes there that are very relevant these days very much wow <laughs> i'm actually speechless i don't know what to say well i guess you won that category <laughs> no no i gotta do this fair and square um do you think the characters in each other's episodes would work in the other person's episodes environments Logan, I think, would be better answer, better equipped to answer that one because I, I didn't get to watch Watchers Woods in preparation for this, but okay. go ahead, Logan. Um, I really think, you know, the cool... I think this is just such a good versus for that reason. I mean, these characters in both episodes, they share so many similarities. The stories in a really... I mean, like, the themes are different, but the characters, I mean, you have a really strong moral character um, in both episodes. And I think, you know... If you took maybe, I mean, I think Kelly might bring it to a different, she might bring it down a little bit if she was put in that situation. Um, but the strength in Sarah alone, I think could definitely equal out with, um, for, forgive me, forgetting his name um, in, in uh, Camp Nightmare. What's the main character's Billy? name? Billy. Ellie. Billy. No, Billy. Billy. Yeah. So, I mean, you got that aspect. And then I think, you know, as far as the authority figure thing, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, they're different fears. One, like you said, one's um, fantasy and one's reality. And um, but in a weird way, it is fantasy though, because there's that double edge to it. Um, but I, oh man, that's a really good question. But I do, I do think at least the the strong characters would do well in opposite situations for sure. Moving on to our fourth category, use of the camp theme. So Logan, for Watchers Woods, describe how the camp applies to your story um you know i think i think it one thing that's cool about watcher watchers woods is it's definitely set in a 90s camp i mean that the the costumes that they're wearing are pretty damn accurate to when it was when it was filmed um it's definitely got you know i went to summer camp i didn't go to summer camp till probably about three years after that was filmed um but like you know the it's got a it's definitely got a camp vibe i think they could have played it up a little more but you know i love the especially the the mess hall because the summer when i was a kid it had a mess hall that was really really similar to that and there was like a piano and it was like the stone walling i mean it is a summer camp there is no doubt in my mind that is a summer camp and they're doing summer camp activities like hiking um i do think you know to bring it back to 
the authority thing, the fact I do think it's interesting that they just let these kids go off on their own and partners um, into these woods <laughs> with, you know, where are the counselors in this whole situation? They don't seem to really care too much. But also the counselors at my summer camp didn't care either. That's what was cool. Cause like, why should they? They're, they're, te they're teenagers, they're older teenagers or they're in their twenties and on, they're in very different places in their life than these younger kids. Um, so yeah, they don't, they don't care. So yeah, they're, I mean, they're, the sense of neglect for the campers um, in, in Watchers Woods too, I think is really, is it, it's reality of what summer camp was like in the nineties, I think for a lot of kids. Um, so yeah, I think it definitely drives home the camp feel really, really great. Awesome, yeah. Reminds me of Boy Scout camp actually when I grew up because uh, very similar dynamic, except obviously all boys there. Um, yeah. Alex, uh, tell us about the use of the camp theme relative to Camp Nightmare. Well, you've got the gamut for for this. Uh, I mean, getting there is, is one thing. Uh, riding the bus, getting stopped, having to hike. Uh, you have different bunks. Uh, I do remember when I went to kids camp, uh, we didn't have uh, a, a camp for boys and a camp for girls. It, it was a it was a, a cross between the two, but there was bunks purely for boys, bunks purely for girls. And I remember that they were on two very opposite ends of camp, and you couldn't go on those opposite ends, but you could meet in the middle ground to do uh, activities there. Um, they had the uh, the as. Logan pointed out the mess hall. Uh, they had activities. They had baseball. Uh, they had the rundown bunk that everyone wants to ask questions about, but they're not allowed to go <laughs> in, mostly because of safety reasons. You know, it's worn out. You can get hurt, but, you know, that doesn't stop people from making up ghost stories about them. Uh, the sitting down at the campfire, roasting marshmallows, although that's not what they did, but you, you can easily see it happening, sharing, singing songs. Uh, kids camp that I went to, we didn't have songs. Well, they actually had a karaoke next to the oh, wow. the, the little hut. Oh my god! Uh, but uh, <laughs> they uh, they also had uh, the canoeing and uh, and and hunting. I mean, they they did teach basic hunting skills, but now it's you know. <laughs> people hunting but uh they they really utilized very much the uh stay stay in your bunks write uh, letters home to your parents uh, we actually did that too uh although that wasn't it's not something we were enforced to do it was just we were there for a few a uh, week or two weeks and we'd write a letter and send it to our parents but um very much the the main plot points the main uh, topical things that you would find at a kids camp were all sprinkled throughout the entire uh, the entirety of these big two-part episodes both of them feel very well lived in camps too it's not just like it's either pristine or um too run down it's it's just the right amount of wear and tear like you would also find a camp on Awana. <laughs> but we'll get there later um all right here's our last category the big one lasting appeal why do each of your episodes still stand the test of time today? Logan, let's start with you and Watcher's Woods. Um, you know, if you want to go back and look at Are You Afraid of the Dark as a whole, as a show, um, a lot that, one of the things that really stands out to even the most novice of Are You Afraid of the Dark viewer are some of the lasting images. Um, and I think Watcher's Woods really has a lot of these um, that have been, you know, including the one in your background. I mean, these are classic are you afraid of the dark images 
that when you think of Are You Afraid of the Dark, there's at least three things I would automatically think of with Watcher's Woods. Um, and they were used repeatedly throughout the, uh, you know, throughout clips, throughout Nickelodeon's history. Um, the music video, uh, the Are You Afraid of the Dark music video has a ton of clips from it. Um, I just think it, it, left, it left, left for me and I think for most Are You Afraid of the viewers a, uh, a lasting impression um, with the scariness, especially. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, oh, man. Yeah, they're a good question. Um, but I remember this one. I never forgot this one, even from when I was a kid. Um, definitely in you know in my top ten. I love Sam. I think as a character, I think there's there's themes, especially in um, you know the opening scene with the Midnight Society. I mean, there's themes that are really great that like we're driving home today as a society. I mean, the fact that you know Sam is being sexualized and she doesn't put up with it. She's mm -hmm. just like nope. And I love that. I love that, you know, she's a strong female character. Um, one of my favorite storytellers. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's a great episode, man. It really, really is. Right yeah. there with you. Yeah, very memorable. Alex, tell us about the lasting appeal of Welcome to Camp Nightmare. Uh, so going to camp is still a very relevant thing. Um, the kids' camp that I went to, incidentally, hasn't really changed all that much. Uh, I went there as a kid. I went there as a camp counselor. I went there as a guest speaker. And here this summer, Sam, my oldest, is going there for the first time as uh, one of the campers. It hasn't really changed that much. And they aren't allowed to have phones out there. Uh, they're cut off from most of society. They, they do have phones and ways to communicate back. And there isn't much in this episode that really dates it as 90s. Uh, yes, they have they don't have phones, and they're still a pay phone, but to be honest, there are still camps that have those kinds of old landline phones. Uh, not very many, but there are some. And uh, most of them don't want you to bring your phones anyway. Leave technology out the door, because that's the point of camp. You know, you would get out there in nature and communicate and be with each other. And um, kids still go to camp obviously mine does and the uh the activities that you see them doing partake participating in this episode that's still relevant people still do these things but the real thing is what makes this episode scary uh and the reason i think this is very uh a very much a key element for lasting appeal is not only is it a viable fear for kids, it's a viable fear for adults. Uh, because children, what is more scary than parents or adults who are not only untrusting and uh, will try to get you to do something, but also abusive? Uh, not necessarily in the physical sense, but in an emotional sense, because they, they very much were. And that's terrifying to a child. That's also terrifying for an adult to be in that kind of an environment and uh, have their bosses uh, in, a, in a work environment who isn't believing them whenever they're com coming forth with a concern and they're not being taken seriously. Or when we've all seen on social media people who are expressing concerns about the government and, and uh, all these other various things. But also another thing that I find interesting in terms of lasting appeal, again, with it being an adult is if we go back and watch these shows again 
we were terrified of these characters, these monsters and things as children. We grew up, we matured, these things aren't as scary anymore. Uh, they're more nostalgic and we love them now as an adult, but we're not scared of them. This one, it still leaves you unsettled uh, because there is no giant monster. It's the people and putting this kid in this awful situation. And even though we know it's a simulation by the end of it, it's still unsettling to know that there were people who would put these kids through that kind of thing. So I think you as a parent, you're a parent, I'm a parent. I think, you know, also that not to like play up your episode, but like, I mean, the, having your kids, sending your kids to summer camp, imagine, you know, being a parent and thinking about your kids dealing with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, it's one of the very few episodes that of of most scary kids shows anthology children's series where the parents can get unsettled just as much if possibly not more so than the children and that's a very very rare thing it's 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 lasting not just in memory not just in story not just in what's happening but also you don't lose that element of what the show was freaking designed to do in the first place which is scare you and this is one of the few that can still scare kids and potentially unsettle adults yeah. Yeah, there's a very real sense of dread the deeper you you go into Camp Nightmare to see its core meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's scarier than any sort of creature they could throw out here, even mystical being in Camp Nightmare versus Watcher's Woods. You know you're going to get into something a little more paranormal, but it's also equally scary just in a different style. Mm -hmm. Very much. Well, fellas, you both make very, very compelling arguments, so it's going to be difficult for me to... Uh, pick a winner here but while I'm deliberating who I'm going to pick and the breakdown of the points for the final verdict uh, let's all go head into our tent and uh, change our clothes for the final verdict and you know roast some weenies and marshmallows over the campfire so we'll be right back in a couple of moments and we'll conclude this exciting versus battle we'll be right back Day morning at 11.30, 10.30 Central, only on Nick Jr. Before Mythbusters, Miss Frizzle, Beekman, or Bill Nye, there was Mr. Wizard. Mr. Wizard's world was a staple of children's education for many years. Together we are joined by Ryan Smiga to discuss the history of this long-running series, as well as some of our favorite experiments. You will only find this episode on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash splatattack to get access to this episode as well as our backlog of all of our exclusive content. While you're here, please hit the like button and subscribe and hit the notification bell. If you're listening on a podcast app, please leave us a review. Doing this show as a full-time job is a dream for us, and these simple actions will help make that dream a reality. 
For now, join us on Patreon to test some theories in Mr. Wizard's lab. Back to our show. Alrighty, so we're all geared up. We got our weenies and marshmallows on our sticks, ready to roast them over the campfire. And I think we're going to do the final verdict now. Uh, both of you guys, as I said before, made a very compelling argument, so it's going to be tricky to see who gets what points for each category. So starting off, we have story. Um, both of you made very, very thorough uh, descriptions of each of the stories. Um, both of them gave me like vivid pictures of replaying it in my mind, even though I'm familiar with both of these episodes. Uh, I, I recognize that they're, they each have both good and part, bad parts about them. That's why I asked the question about would you edit your episode at all um, to tighten it up. And I think if they did more with the Watcher to balance it or even expand the episode, it'd work better. While Camp Nightmare, I would edit down some of the camp scenes. So they're pretty dead even for me. I'm going to give you a point each for story. So one to one. Moving on to main characters. Uh, of course, you have Kelly and Sarah in Watcher's Woods, and then Billy and then the rest of the campers, and maybe even by extension, Uncle Al and Larry uh, here. I'm going to give this point to Watcher's Woods, mainly because Camp Nightmare is a little bit, a little bit more muddy uh, with how they handle each of the characters and their development. I'm the kind of person who appreciates detail and focus when I'm watching an episode, and it's a lot easier for me to keep track of just you know, two main characters, um, and then some side characters who may or may not be villains, which are the missing trailblazers. Uh, the Watcher, he's not really a main character. He's not even really a villain. He's just kind of a heckler. <laughs> At least that's how he's presented here. Um, so he, he doesn't count. Um, but I love Sarah and Kelly. I love their dynamic. It's kind of like as classic as Bonnie and Clyde or like Laurel and Hardy or any other dynamic duo throughout television history. They just have great personality traits that play off each other and complement each other so well. And they become better friends by the end of it. So I find that very endearing. So point goes to Watcher's Woods for the category two. Category three, scariness. This one was especially difficult for me to decide between because I had to reframe how I look at each of them because Watcher's Woods, as you mentioned, is more fantastical and a little more mysterious and lore-based. Camp Nightmare is a little bit more like down to earth, <laughs> even though it's it doesn't it's, take place on Earth. It's the way up and it's down more, space. It's, yeah, up to Earth or up to. It's almost Earth. like more. It's almost like more mature in a sense with this. Yeah, case. yeah, and you that's know? very. That's very uncharacteristic for Goosebumps episode, and I gotta give it kudos to that. So, I love the imagery of Watcher's Woods because it really, really stuck with me throughout all these years. I don't care if anyone bashes it, it's gonna be one of my favorites. I'm gonna say within top 10 as well, Logan. However, you know what? It's no. okay, it's okay. No, I'm gonna give you both one point. Okay. I can't decide. I love both of them for different reasons. And I think that's okay. Uh, it's okay to have ties when they're just so dead even in their own unique way. So currently, Watcher's Woods is leading by one point. Category four, camping theme. Um, I, like, I like the camp of Watcher's Woods a bit. 
I, I like it for the architecture of the camp building. Of course, the lodge is beautiful. Uh, like how it's got the old, old tiny piano in it that that one camper's playing. Uh, we do see a brief scene of them getting ready to go canoeing, which is nice, but it's not really that much. And then, of course, you get this beautiful shot of like a, a well-lit tent, kind of like in my background for one scene uh, as the story ramps up. And you know, by extension, I would I would also I would also include the missing trailblazers camp because I like how shabby and decrepit and decaying it, it looks. It really adds to the atmosphere, and that that drew my attention uh, more than like the regular camp, just because I don't typically see it that way. Um, however. Camp Nightmare equally has uh, signs of decay and strangeness and fullness of summer camp because it's got that forbidden lodge that no one's allowed to go into. It's just covered in like cobwebs and tattered fabric and it really looks mysterious even in daylight, which I applaud it for because it's not easy to make things scary by day. Um, we definitely see a more well-rounded perspective of camp with like playing baseball and eating breakfast at the lodge. And, know uh, even singing songs around a campfire which I appreciate so this one was very close but I'm gonna give it to Camp Nightmare for the camping theme just because it goes a little bit more thorough and well-rounded with its presentation uh, and then of course we have lasting appeal and I think right now the score is three to three yeah so we're all tied up um, man, I think in general, Goosebump, I mean, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark as a series has aged better than Goosebumps just because it's a little bit more serious and you can still appreciate it on the same level um, as an adult versus when you were a kid. More often times than not, I see Goosebumps for the nostalgia, even if it is much cheesier and some of the scares may not hit as hard as when I was a young kid watching it, which is okay. Um, to each their own. However, I think the deeper messages here really, really prove that these tales are worth remembering and there are standout tales for each of their respective series. Camp Nightmare goes uncharacteristically serious and it gets really heavy and at times you feel a lot of Billy's anxiety and worry and panic that is just welling up inside of him uh, the more that the other campers are being picked apart and disappeared and no one's believing him i can very much relate to that and feel his frustration heck i i was ready to pull out a bazooka to shoot uncle al in the chest like never mind a crossbow <laughs> with tranquilizer darts i was just like you know screw the establishment i want you to get out of here and take me out of this camp uh, you might have to blur that finger, Alex, because this is a family show. <laughs> but um, lasting appeal for Watcher's Woods. I, I, I really love the story. It's just so endearing. It's, it's a very female-driven episode, which we don't see too often. But because it's a Sam story and it's her introduction, this, this is an embodiment of who she is as a storyteller. You know, she's, she's kind of rugged. She, she dares to go in a little bit more dangerous territory. She doesn't tell, like, a safe story. And I appreciate how, how the characters navigate through that story as a result. Um, so I think I'm going to give this one a tie. I appreciate them in their own way. And um, I think that leaves us <laughs> with another tie. Go figure <laughs> as the final verdict. Face your opponents. We have a draw. 
I mean, honestly, I would I would even argue to say that Your Tale is the best Goosebumps episode, um, in my opinion. Yeah. Minus Piano Lessons of Murder because Aaron Taggart's in it. I mean, that's... Oh, I love it for that reason. I mean, that's really the only other one that really, really stands out to me. But yeah, this one, you're... I mean, yeah, they're both really great, but you're... I mean, man, that ending of Camp Nightmare. And I'm totally talking about the other episode. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, both both are easily on the, the higher echelon of both respective series. So I, I can't give it to either show for that reason they're both excellent and i'm so glad we got to compare them just to you know prove to all of our slimesters out there who are fans of either show or even both shows why they they they're worth watching and remembering even 30 years removed so well done guys Uh, i appreciate your arguments and your thoroughness with all of them and i think we're going to move on to our segment called rename game which is exclusive to versus episodes So for rename game, um, basically what we do is we take the titles of each of our episodes that we're defending, and we try to rework them to see if we can name them into something better. Or if you want to go the route that some of our guests have done, just make it totally silly. Uh, and because I'm the judge, I have the distinction of being able to rename both of the tales. So Logan, let's start with you. If you could think of a better fitting title, what would you rename the Tale of Watchers Woods as? Oh yeah, okay. The tale of the nightmare at Camp Grindelstone. Um, I think that's I think that's a good a good alternate tale. Or the tale of to be really obvious, the tale of the missing trailblazers. I mean, mm. I think both of those could have worked and it would have had the same lasting appeal. In fact, I think it's better. No offense to um, Are you afraid of the dark? But the tale of Watchers Woods. The Watcher is such a, a minute character that um, I think they should have reworked it into a different title to begin with. Um, Alex, what would you rename Welcome Welcome to Camp Nightmare? Usually I'm pretty good at coming up with some fun names or or very simplistic, but honestly, Welcome to Camp Nightmare, it's it's such a perfect title for this one. Uh, so trying to think of something else that would work, I, I, I couldn't really think of anything that would work better. The gr- or a great experiment. <laughs> and, and But I didn't want to, because I thought of something like that, but that would take away from the twist at the end. And I didn't want to do yeah, that either. So I I mostly just came up with another camp theme, uh, which was just uh, take out Welcome To and just be Camp Turmoil. Mm. Equally as gruesome. Well, for uh, my titles, I'm going to start with Watcher's Woods. Uh, I'm right there with you, Logan. I really feel like the Trailblazers stole the show as as villains slash, you know, troubled characters. You might even say they're ghosts with unfinished business, even though they don't look ghostly. Uh, so keeping in that spirit of their performances, I'm going to name, rename Watcher's Woods the Tale of the Terrifying Trailblazers. Oh, perfect. perfect. Yeah, and I love the alliteration too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> alliteration and puns. That's Those are my wordplay preferences. Yeah, you seem to be good at those. Thank you. Yeah. And then for uh, Welcome to Camp Nightmare, <laughs> this one is going the pun route because I love camping and I wanted to celebrate the camping aspect of it. Uh, so I'm going to go with High Intensity Scares. So nice. like in hyphen tent hyphen city, High Intensity Scares. And then uh, another one that I just came up of off the top of my head, which may be optional, is uh, Sabertooth Liars. 
Because <laughs> everyone's full of it in yep. this one, even Saber. Yep. Oh, that's good. Yep. That's good. Yeah. So we'll we'll post those on Instagram after this episode releases, and we'll have our Slimesters and Gatcoids vote to see which titles for each episode will win. And we'll post results in our next verses or next time we get a chance to share it with our listeners. Uh, so let's let's uh, pull out our playing card deck because we had so much fun in episode 43 doing the segment and the elimination bracket on Patreon that we're gonna bring it back again. Uh, pick a card, any card, because it's wild card. So for wildcard, uh, essentially it's just adding in an element of randomness uh, to our episode, depending on what format we do, uh, and makes make it interesting. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna pick a virtual card that's gonna be displayed on the screen and see based on what is on the card. It, it's a story either from Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark or some other '90s Nick show. Uh, to see if the episode that's listed on the card or the story that's listed on the card is better, equal to, or worse than your own. Uh, so Logan, when you pick a card, you're going to compare it to Watcher's Woods, and Alex, you're going to compare your card to Camp Nightmare. Uh, we have spades, diamonds, clubs, hearts, and joker. And each of you can each pick one, and I'm going to pick one as well. Which would you like, Logan? Oh, okay, cool. Um, I'll pick the spades. Alrighty, let's see what's underneath the spades card. It is the horror at Camp Jelly Jam, which is Goosebumps book number thirty-three. Oh, Are you geez. familiar with that one? <laughs> I, you know, I, I remember the cover like crazy. It has that really creepy counselor on it. Um, yep. <laughs> I don't remember what the I don't remember what the story was about. Um, I should yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uncharacteristically happy. Oh god, it's such a creepy cover. It's such a good, the book cover's fantastic. I just don't remember what that one was about um, at all. I can definitely fill you in because I, I read the synopsis yeah. earlier just in case. Um, I, I don't know the, too much about the details either. It's hard for me to recall, but basically there's these kids who are playing camp games and if they win, they're, they're highly competitive camp games. And if they win, they get a king coin and that sends them off to like a special area where they essentially are removed from the rest of the campers. And this main character has to find out why all the campers have gone missing, and, except for like one or two who haven't been picked yet because they suck at the sport games at this competitive camp. And when they, when they do some further investigating, they find out that underneath the camp, spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't read the book, um, there's this like giant purple blob monster with a crown. You know, hence the Jelly Jam and the Camp Jelly Jam name, who's like in an underground lair, who's kind of like Jabba the Hutt, ordering all these winners of these games to wash him to keep his putrid stench from choking him, apparently, or suffocating him. And he's like sweating snails. It's really grotesque in its graphicness. Really? How dare you, R.L. Stein? Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and eventually when uh, the main female character and her friends um, confront the Jelly Jam monster, uh, she does something to distract him or distract the campers long enough from washing him that he ends up inhaling his own putrid stench and dying from it and that causes like a massive like stink cloud around around the perimeter even to the um, 
the the towns near there and then somehow it just cuts to like the, the main character at home uh, in the kitchen getting ready for dinner and she smells that smell so she thinks someone from jelly jams back to like take her back but it turns out it's just brussels sprouts co cooking in the kitchen so it's like one of those happy silly twists that uh we needed after like a long dark surprisingly dark plot all right um i mean i don't even know how i would is, is that better worse or equal to watcher's woods oh, oh wow i mean now i have to go like read that whole book and like decide but i mean i guess like based on that I, can i say like i'm just gonna say worse okay <laughs> i mean it's very interesting um I think I just need to read it to make a fair comparison. Yeah. If you do end up reading it, um, send us an email and we'll share it. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, Alex, let's see if you can uh, pick a better one than that. Uh, what suit would you like? Let's go with hearts. All righty. Under the hearts card is the following. The Treasure of Sarah Madre from Salute Your Shorts, Season 1. Mm. Oh, wow. Is that a better, worse, or equal to episode to Welcome to Camp Nightmare? Well, that depends on in what capacity. Because if we're talking scariness, worse. If we're talking uh, fun, then better. Uh, if we're talking about uh, just an overall camp feel, I'd say about the same. Mm -hmm. um, personal preference, then I would say better, just because it's Salute Your Shorts, and that's far more welcoming for me. Mm -hmm. uh, especially as a kid. I could never get enough of uh, Saluji shorts. But uh, there was a bit of a serious uh, vibe going along with the show, with this particular one, because of the, the treasure hunt and the find... But all, all those parts where they're always having to follow the map and gotta do certain movements one, to get One, two, cha-cha-cha. This goofy <laughs> stuff like that. I loved, I loved all of that. But um, if just let's say just for camp feel sure they're both the same uh i because camp they they both embody camp really well which obviously salute your shorts freaking better because that's, that's the whole freaking show yeah right. something would be wrong with you didn't say that salute your shorts was better yeah <laughs> <laughs> but honestly this goes for if you're going for scary or or fun obviously there's going to be a heavy leniency in either direction definitely great answer all right, uh, well, I'm going to pick two cards here uh, since I'm going to do both episodes. So spades and hearts were chosen, which means I'm going to choose diamonds for Watcher's Woods. All right, what we got here? Ooh, we have The Curse at Camp Cold Lake, which is Goosebumps book number 56. Oh, man, this is really intense because I don't know if either of you have read this particular book, but it has... It, it's one of the darkest camp books that R.L. Stein has ever done, and it has shades of Lonely Ghost in it because it involves this girl who gets picked on at camp. Um, I forgot her name, but, uh, you know, she's kind of fed up with everyone treating her like crap, even though she's new to camp and she just wants to get away from it. And she has this idea to get sympathy from people as a way to get more attention and like just some better friendship bonding, I guess, uh, to pretend to drown in, in the lake, which is Camp Cold Lake. And so she like goes out on a canoe by herself, tips over, and then, you know, effectively goes underwater thinking that she could hold her breath for a minute before someone shows up and no one shows up. 
Like, oh, it's, man. it's an uncharacteristically long time. Oh, it, it even has dark. a little bit of Dead Man's Float in here, too. But get this. She reemerges out of the water, and she doesn't see any of the campers at all. I think there's this girl named Della who's there, who's like waiting behind, uh, waiting near the, the lake. And she's like, hey, I, I'm sorry to see that you, you were having some trouble underwater. Will you be my buddy? And for some reason, this, this character Della is telling the main character of this book, like essentially, if you're gonna be my buddy, you're gonna be here forever in this like other world. I think it's like an upside down, of, you know, from Stranger Things version of this camp. And upon realizing this, she like, she gets like out of this dream that she had where she was there. And then her, her plan ends up working. She, she becomes friends with these characters these campers after being rescued from the lake but she still sees visions of Della like constantly lurking around her like waiting for her to be her buddy for the boat for canoeing or whatever and it just really hits me hard in like all the best ways and I wish if they had the budget or like were renewed for fifth season that this episode I mean sorry this book was turned into an episode because this would be like Dead Man's Float tier quality on Goosebumps. That's freaking dark, man. Yeah, I highly recommend reading it. If if you only read like three Goosebumps books in your entire life, I would read Say Cheese and Die, The Haunted Mask, and Curse at Camp Cold Lake. That's the only one I haven't read. That's the only one I haven't read out of those three. Um, and also, just so you know, I did go. To, I went to high school with Steve from Stranger Things. Just throwing that out there. Wow, very nice. Yeah, <laughs> very. Yeah, he did theater class with me. Yeah. So overall. Camp Cold Lake, I would say, is a little bit better than Watcher's Woods. They both are great with the scariness, but I think it just ramps it up to the max with its storyline. Um, so there's that. And then for Camp Nightmare, I'm going to go with the Joker because I feel a little, uh, feel a little devious here. So under the Joker card, we have... The Tale of the Manaha from Are You Afraid of the Dark Season oh, 5. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot oh, I put that there. Man. Um, all I could think of now is like that really crappy counselor, Lonnie, who's like constantly shouting Oscar butts um, at, at uh, Jonah, the main character kid, who actually does the voice for Arthur on that the animated TV series. And, oh, man, I think both of them are... I actually think Camp Nightmare is better than Manaha here because normally it's like they the tables have turned. Manaha is like goosebumps silly here, but Camp Nightmare is serious in an Are You Afraid of the Dark way. So I gotta I gotta go with Camp Nightmare, even though I think Manaha is so bad it's good. It's just oh my it's god, fun dude! To I would at. have to I would have to smack you if you chose Manaha. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is just holy. Uh, what are you guys' final thoughts on doing this episode today? Oh, I loved it. I um, I just had a really great time um, divulging uh, both the. I mean, that's the right word. Yeah, I was, I'm so burnt out right now from 500 things, but just both of these episodes are just. Uh, I just had such a blast talking about them with you guys, and I just feel honored to be uh on this podcast. I've been really looking forward to it, and um, you know, you guys are both. You guys both really know your stuff, and you know, I just yeah, it's just great. I've had a really great time. Well, thank you for being here, man. I appreciate it. It's been great to have you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to get to know you better through this, and uh, we'll definitely have to have you 
again, for either Goosebumps, Party for the Dark, or really anything that interests you. We love having repeat guests and just getting to know them all better because honestly, recording these episodes is the best part of what we do. It's, it's fun getting to know new people, friends, family, you name it. Just share these experiences with us that really shaped our childhood and it's worth remembering, it's worth honoring. That's, that's why we do this podcast in the first place so that future generations can look back on this, see all the great stuff we got exposed to and then introduce themselves to it as well. Totally. Final thoughts, Alex? Uh, final thoughts, just, it was, it was really fun, but it always is. Uh, it was, I do remember seeing this episode, the Are You Afraid of the Dark episode fairly recently, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Jensen was only one. He is now three at the time. And, um, going back and watching this episode of Goosebumps again and being really surprised because I was expecting the cheesy, hokey, goofy thing that it is. And holy crap, this one was a really dark and twisted and very terrifying episode. And that was a, that's a fun aspect. Plus, I really feel like Goosebumps has been given the... Um, it has a, an uphill battle against Are You Afraid of the Dark, uh, which is a pretty often thing you hear because back in the 90s, we didn't hear that very often. A whole lot more people love Goosebumps, and not as many people would talk as much about Are You Afraid of the Dark. Now it's the complete opposite. And uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark arguably is the well better made show, but it is fun to be on the underdog side and and punch it up a bit more in these arguments. And oftentimes, like today, giving a, a solid tie and make you have to stop and really think, well, crap, with these parameters, which one really is better? And that's that's a fun thing to do. Oh, I was nervous going against you, man. I was <laughs> I was I watched I watched I watched the Goosebumps last night again just to like take some notes and I was like by the end I was like oh I was like, man, that's a good episode. It's like, oh, that's, man. that's so funny you say that because going into this, I thought it would be a clean sweep with Watcher's Woods just because I love it so much. But yeah, revisiting the episode and seeing it from like a deeper level upon repeated viewings, it, it really does reveal its value to itself. It's not your typical Goosebumps mm -hmm. episode that's got like plot issues and, you know, cheesy villains and stuff like that. It's actually got a cohesive storyline cast of characters some existential dread to throw in there and a twist so uh goosebumps is no slouch here and in other instances it, it really doesn't pull any punches too i will say though i was really surprised by the twist ending because it's it's goosebumps there's going to be a twist ending i thought the twist ending was going to be that saber was really a monster or I also thought that maybe Larry was a shape-shifting monster because he was he went to the the saber was going to the door then the door opens up and it's Larry and I thought that he was really taking these kids and putting them in cages or something but uh, no then they then they revealed the twist that it was an animatronic and I thought oh man that's a super lame twist if that was what they went with well we're going to planet earth wait what okay <laughs> you, you you've done got me back now it's it's the twist to let your guard down so that you're totally floored by the action. Yes. <laughs> well, it was yeah. quite effective. And now I'm just like thinking a, of like um, a sucker punch. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Now it's making me think of the robot chicken skit that plays off of M Night Shyamalan, where the alien and like all the characters say at the end, "What a twist! What a twist!" Yeah, I, I love both of these episodes. I'm glad that I was able to appreciate them from new levels based on your arguments because I. 
even though I do have preferences going into some of these verses, I oh, do yeah. my best to be as impartial and fair as possible and listen more to the weight of your arguments and less on the nostalgia. So I, I really love it when they actually end in a tie because it's just your, your debate skills are just top tier, top notch, bringing your A game. And I, I love that. All right, everyone, let's turn in for the nights and go back to our bunks and hope Sabre doesn't devour us alive by morning. Here's our closing question, Slimesters. Which camping episode do you prefer and why? Do you love Watcher's Woods for its mystical lore? Or do you love the realistic existential dread of Camp Nightmare? Weigh in in the comments on YouTube or let us know on social media like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, wherever we are. Just let us know what you think about the episodes because we love engaging with our listeners and building that community. Uh, you can also write to us at splatattack2021 at, at gmail.com. Um, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Splatattack Podcast, or basically interact with us however you can. Uh, I, once again, Logan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to get to know you through this, and we'd love to have you back. Is there anything else you'd like to plug before we go? Um, so, real quick, um, if you're ever in Portland, Maine, um, I run a food truck called George's North Shore. It's named after my dog, George Costanza, but we're opening a restaurant called called George and Leon's, named after um, my son and my dog, George. Um, so yeah, we're uh, we're hoping to open by July, and um, if you're ever in Maine, come check us out. We're uh, going to have a bunch of cool uh, nostalgic stuff. I have a Nickelodeon. I just got on Etsy the old OG uh, Nickelodeon uh, landline phone that will be our uh, house phone. Nice. For, uh, for the, for the <laughs> yeah, so there'll be Nickelodeon stuff. I got my autograph. I'm putting up my framed uh, autograph Bob Camp uh, animated thing he did for me. Um, yeah, there'll be there'll be all sorts of cool stuff. We got an orange couch actually. Uh, my wife and I found on Craigslist that's in the, that's gonna be in the restaurant. We will be showing episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark and Pete Pete, all sorts of stuff on a projector that we got mounted there. So it's it's gonna be really cool. Um, so if you're ever in Maine, come check us out. Alrighty, tune in next time, Slimesters, when we pack our bags for sunnier shores and go on a holiday to Nick Jr. territory with our Gullah Gullah Island retrospective. We're excited to explore what the island and the show's history has to offer, so you don't want to miss this vacation of a lifetime only here on Splat Attack. Until then, Alex, <laughs> will you drain the slime tank for us, please? I've got to finish grinding and sharpening my machete <laughs> because uh, I, I got to whack down some bothersome weeds in my backyard. Don't worry, I'm not going to decapitate any heads yet. Hi, <laughs> uh, co captain. Now, I know you're joking with us, but I got a real zinger for you. Oh. Ah! Where'd this wooden cage come from? Hey, no, Alex, I was just kidding. Get me out of oh. here. Get me out now, of here. I can sleep easy tonight. Hey! And so will you, Slimesters. No! Watch you later. This isn't fair. Get me out of here. <laughs> Theme song and roll the credits. <laughs> I reckon it's time for me to go. I'm glad that's over. Now for a peaceful night's sleep. Well, that does it for now. Yeah, we gotta catch a train. Since I'm going home, you can't my artsy crafts project. It's a tweezer holder. All right, guys. Let's go for it. How long have we been away? <laughs> See you soon. Thanks for watching. Bye bye. Never enter Watcher's Woods, ever.
My parents checked out a whole lot of camps. Lightning's supposed to be the best. What's Watch's Woods? You go down and join your bunkmates. Have yourself some fun. You fascinate me, Sarah. Put down that weapon, Billy, or you are going to be very, very sorry. Saber's coming. Come on, man, we got it. Saber's hungry. Why not cook half of her? <laughs> Teach the other half to do tricks.